0: This week on Worldview, China fires missiles, holds exercises around Taiwan in response to U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taipei. Should India react to rising tensions or continue to hold its peace? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This is episode 73. Now, the past week saw a dramatic scale up in tensions in the Taiwan Strait. After U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi went ahead with that visit of the Congressional delegation to Taipei, she'd been warning off, to meet the leadership there as well as many civil society representatives on the island. The visit went ahead despite warnings from China, several warnings, in fact, that this would destabilize the region and even a disavowal of the trip from the United States government, President Biden saying it wasn't a good idea that uh, Ms. Pelosi's plans were not helpful. And even this appeal from UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who said humanity is one miscalculation away from annihilation.
1: The clouds that parted following the end of the Cold War are gathering once more. We have been extraordinarily lucky so far, but luck is not a strategy, nor is it a shield from geopolitical tensions boiling over into nuclear conflict. To today, humanity is just one misunderstanding, one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation.
0: So, why was this visit to Taipei just so controversial for Beijing? And it does have precedent. The first is that the speaker is a high ranking US official, comes third in precedence after the US president and vice president. And a visit to the self governed island that the US doesn't formally recognize but supports is actually significant because it does look formal. Second, the Pelosi visit came 25 years. So it's been 25 years since the last visit by US Speaker Newt Gingrich to Taiwan in 1997. Unlike Gingrich, who was a Republican speaker in a Democrat administration, Bill Clinton, Pelosi belongs actually to the ruling Democratic Party. This makes it difficult for the Biden administration to really distance itself from her decisions. Fourth, this was really another red rag for the Chinese. Pelosi is an avid supporter of Tibetan rights. She's visited the Dalai Lama in Paramshala, quite often met him in the U.S. as well, publicly called out China on every human rights issue from Tiananmen Square to Tibet and Xinjiang. In the Washington Post this week, in fact, Ms. Pelosi put out her rationale for the visit. And you can find it on the website. The fifth reason really is that Pelosi's visit comes on the backdrop of a number of initiatives taken by the Biden administration trying to show renewed energy in the Indo-Pacific region particularly in the past few months uh, there was the launch of the IPEF the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework that included a range of countries but not China a blue pacific partnership with allies in the pacific area uh, then there was the announcement of AUKUS the Australia UK US alliance for nuclear submarines in the in the waters Uh, an invitation to Indo-Pacific allies at the NATO conference as well. Australia, Japan, New Zealand, uh, South Korea were invited to the NATO summit as well, which is quite significant. So no surprise that China's response was ballistic, quite literally. Here are a list of measures that China took after issuing a series of threats. It announced military exercises that came closer to the Taiwan Strait than they have in 25 years. Uh, Nearly 30 Chinese military aircraft actually entered Taiwan's Air Defense Identification Zone, ADIZ, on Tuesday, which is the day that Pelosi landed over there. Then from August 2nd to the 6th, till Sunday, China said it's conducting these military drills at six locations, all encircling Taiwan, in what military analysts really called blockade exercises, testing China's ability to surround Taiwan in case of more hostilities. so very pointed exercise there. China also launched the biggest such missile drill since 1997. And many thinking that it did have very, very capable missiles being tested at this. Japan's defense minister said that five missiles that were fired by China, actually landed in Tokyo's exclusive economic zone off Hateruma Island. This was protested as well. Then China announced economic sanctions against Taiwan, banning the import of Taiwanese goods from about 100 exporters, although this wouldn't really make a dent in the bilateral trade of dollars, 32 billion that China and Taiwan have each year. You can read much more about all of this, of course, on the Hindu's website correspondent in Beijing, Anand Krishnan, is keeping a very close eye on it all. In addition, China said it would sanction Pelosi and family members for that visit to Taiwan as well as canceled or suspended eight key dialogue mechanisms with the United States that include dialogues on military talks, on maritime awareness, as well as climate change. Finally, Beijing went into diplomatic overdrive, summoning the U.S. ambassador in Beijing, issuing strong statements from every embassy, including from Delhi, garnering a number of statements in support from countries considered close to China, including in India's neighbourhood, where Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Pakistan, all, even the Taliban in Afghanistan issued statements really supporting China, affirming the One China policy, calling for peace and criticising provocations in the Taiwan Strait. Above all, China kept stressing that the One China principle, that the world must stand by its recognition of the People's Republic of China, PRC, that's ruled by the Communist Chinese Chinese Communist Party in Beijing, and not the Taiwanese, what is called the Republic of China, ROC, which only a handful of countries recognize. In fact, after a period of 25 years of relative calm, it is clear that US-China tensions over Taiwan are now once again on the rise, but also the possibility of Chinese direct action to either contain or or take control of Taiwan seems to be rising and u.s fears have actually doubled since russia's invasion of ukraine earlier in 2022 remember in 2021 president xi jinping said reunification with taiwan must be fulfilled a bit he said that this would occur peacefully so let's get much more on this uh, from our correspondent anand krishnan who's there in beijing He's been covering events and all the dramatic developments. Uh, and just to start with, really, how does the current situation compare to past Taiwan Strait crises?
1: What makes this Taiwan crisis different from previous crises we have seen in the eyes of people here in Beijing is that they feel this is going to have a lasting, permanent impact on the status quo. Uh, around the Taiwan Strait. And we have seen that in terms of the military exercises that China has been carrying out since Thursday, which have been unprecedented in scale. For The first time you've had conventional missiles that have been flown over the island of Taiwan, flown out from the eastern coast of China into the waters to the east of Taiwan for the first time as well as the deployment of a range of aircraft across the median of the Taiwan Strait also for the first time. And the message from Beijing is that some of these exercises including what has taken place within 12 nautical miles of Taiwan's coast, what Taiwan would consider to be its territorial waters, that these may be here to stay, Uh, as well as this essential blockade that we've seen for the last four days as a result of these exercises, the message from Beijing being that should it feel inclined to do so in the future it could similarly blockade uh, Taiwan's airspace and waters. Uh, So, I think one big difference from this crisis, at least uh, from the messaging we've seen from Beijing, is they think that this will have a permanent lasting impact on the security situation in the Taiwan Strait to a degree that we haven't seen previously.
0: And and with the Pelosi visit really crossing a 25-year line for the US, if you like, what is China's likely next response after everything we've seen, especially given the Party Congress expected up ahead.
1: We've so far seen two kinds of measures from China, military measures and economic measures. The military measures, of course, are these unprecedented security drills that we've seen carried out pretty much surrounding the island of Taiwan. What is interesting is economic measures have been very modest. They've been limited to banning about 100 exporters from Taiwan, mainly of agricultural products, of fruits of fish, curtailing chinese exports of sand to taiwan and these will have very little impact on the bilateral trade between china and taiwan which is which is robust or in fact it will have very little impact on taiwan's economy Uh, and i think this goes to show that the domestic difficulties in china in terms of china's economy which only grew under one percent in the second quarter of the year they are going to fail to meet their annual five percent target uh, in 2022 goes to show that China really isn't in a position right now to inflict real economic pain on Taiwan. It also reminds us that China is, to some degree, on a bit of a sticky wicket. They're forced to take these military measures uh, to send a signal, not just to Taiwan, but essentially to their domestic audience, which this week has been asking uncomfortable questions to the Chinese leadership, saying if they issued all these public warnings to return Nancy Pelosi, why did they fail and why did she go? And I think it just goes to show uh, that having played up a very sort of strong warnings to Nancy Pelosi. They're now in a situation where they have to act unless questions will be asked of the credibility of their response within China as well.
0: Anand Krishnan there in Beijing with the latest. Let's now come then to the Indian reaction to all of this and possible reaction to much more provocations and reactions in the Taiwan Strait in the future. Now, the Indian position is really informed by a number of factors. And let's just take you through some of them. The first, India's relations with with the Taiwanese polity and business there. Remember, India has a small center over there, an India-Taiwan Friendship Center. And Taiwan runs the TECC, the Taiwan Economic Cultural uh, Center in Delhi. This has been growing since 1996. And then, of course, in 2011, India and Taiwan signed the Double Tax Avoidance Treaty, which was considered quite significant to have an actual treaty there. India-Taiwan trade has grown from about $2 billion in 2005 to about $6 billion in 2020. And now, of course, India is exploring the New Age requirements of semiconductor collaborations, of which Taiwan is really one of the majority producers. India's trade relations with China are, of course, gigantic in comparison with anything it might have with Taiwan, from less than $20 billion in 2005 to $130 billion last year. But strategically, relations between India and China have been strained for a number of reasons. We've been discussing them on Worldview. And this has had an impact on India's articulation of the One China policy. In fact, after 2008, when Chinese claims on Arunachal Pradesh, comments on Jammu and Kashmir began to grow, including, remember, the renaming of Arunachal villages, issuing stapled, visa, stapled visas uh, to Indian citizens from Jammu, Kashmir, and Arunachal, the government actually decided not to change its policy. But to stop referencing the policy in joint resolutions and statements as i said however india still follows the one china principle given especially its own sensitivities on territorial integrity at several multilateral fora one example of that which of course came to the disappointment of people in taipei was the world health assembly where despite statements supporting taiwan from the g7 other quad partners many requests from taipei New Delhi didn't actually back Taiwan for an observership position at the World Health Assembly. In recent times, India has also made no statements, no critical statements on Russia's invasion of Ukraine, for example. New Delhi and the Modi government have been reticent about Myanmar junta's coup and imprisonment of uh, of leaders there. And after a year out, out of Afghanistan, India has also reopened its mission in Kabul, regardless of how the Taliban came to power. This suggests, just going by India's reaction in each of these cases, that India's reaction to military action by China in Taiwan may also actually be muted. Even in the case, remember, of Chinese PLA transgressions at the line of actual control with India and the killings in Galwan, India's official line has been very restrained. The Prime Minister and the government have consistently insisted the Chinese troops haven't crossed into Indian territory in an effort perhaps to make space for themselves in order to resolve the situation diplomatically. Given the political posturing we're seeing, it is clear that US-China tensions will be on a slow boil with some eruptions coming up for the foreseeable future. The question really is can a world already weighed down by economic distress, the continuing COVID pandemic, energy and food shortages resulting from the Russia-Ukraine invasion and then from Western sanctions Really, can this world weigh down and afford another conflict at this time? That's a question many countries are asking today as we see this crisis unfold. Uh, let's get you some reading recommendations to get you up to speed uh, with more. I have in the past, of course, recommended on China and on India, China in particular, The China Challenge by Anand Krishnan, you just saw him, as well as Sham Saran's How India Sees the World and How China Sees India and the World. These are two books really worth reading. Uh, Some more books specifically about Taiwan, in fact, with I must make the caveat that this list, given it is in the English language, looks more at the view from Washington and Taipei than it does from Beijing. So first on India-Taiwan ties, there's a set of 11 essays that have been written by Indian experts and Taiwanese, uh, Taiwan experts as well. It's called India and Taiwan from benign neglect to pragmatism. So the growth of the relationship. Uh, edited by scholar B.R. Deepak, as well as scholar-politician D.P. Tripathi. Then there is this book. It's an easy read. It's a quick read called The Trouble with Taiwan, History, the United States and a Rising China. This is by Kerry Brown and Kali Wu-Zhu Hui, who really bring together all the history in a very simple manner. There's also Why Taiwan Matters, Small Island, Global Powerhouse by Shelley Rigger, really looks at the business opportunities from Taipei. Then there's Taiwan in the era of Tsai Ing-wen. Uh, this is the self-styled, the, the president of the island. This is about the changes and the challenges that have come in since Tsai Ing-wen. We won that election. This is a Routledge series of essays. And Routledge has a different series of essays called cross Strait Relations Since 2016, The End of Illusion. So the idea that uh, really peaceful times may not uh, be seen in the future. A fairly alarmist book, in fact, a book in this res- regard is The Chinese Invasion Threat, Taiwan's Defense and American Strategy by an author called Ian Easton. He earlier wrote The Final Struggle Inside China's Global Strategy. And he really looks at the, in the book as if uh, the Chinese invasion and takeover of Taiwan is a given. He calls it Z-Day, Zero Day, and explains what the likely scenarios would be. We do hope you enjoy reading all of them, learn from them, and do write in and tell us about others from the team here at Worldview. Thanks for watching.